We're going to be looking at uh, John chapter 1, verse 43 is our main scripture this morning. And we're in a series, I don't know, you're probably wondering, what are these chairs doing up here? Um, these chairs are part of a series. Dan Spader wrote an amazing book, Four Chair Discipling. And as a church, we wanted to go through um, a series with the four chairs and to try and understand what our place is and where we sit on these chairs. Don't worry, there's a seat for everyone. And if you happen to be sitting in this come and see chair, this is what we looked at last week, that's a really good chair because it's a starting point. Maybe you're asking questions. Maybe you're exploring the faith. Maybe you've grown up in a Christian home but, but really never understood and never made it personal and you're thinking, maybe it's time to, to reconsider Christ. Maybe it's time in light of what's happening to find out where my security really is and where I put my hope or who I put my hope in. There's a lot of questions in our world today. People are looking for answers. People need answers. People are, are in desperate need for clarity, for truth, absolute truth. And that is found in Jesus Christ and him alone. So the come and see chair is so important. As you look at the four chairs, my prayer is that you will move from one chair to the other at some point in the next several weeks and as we go into a discipleship series a little more in detail, that you'll just move one chair. You may not, don't, don't worry, we're not asking one to jump from the come and see to go and bear fruit as if you're going to be a super Christian to have all the answers. That's next year. No. <laughs> but it is a process, and, and the Christian faith is a journey. Just because you invite Jesus Christ into your heart Yes, you are saved. You're made brand new in Christ. You have a brand new relationship with God who loves you eternally. And it just started. But there's so much more to the journey as Christians. You have the rest of your life to learn and appreciate all that Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross. Last week we looked at John chapter 1 verse 39. Where John the Baptist, what did he do? He just simply pointed to Jesus and he said, look, the Lamb of God. John the Baptist was an amazing man. There was no one else like him, Jesus said. He was an amazing man in his own right, but he had the right perspective on his life. He said, I must decrease, so he must increase. So John the Baptist was a pointer. He had disciples that were following him. They were probably thinking, okay, John, like, I like what you're hearing. I like what you're doing. I really don't like the camel hair and eating locusts, but that's your deal. That's fine. <laughs> I'm going to bring my own barbecue and enjoy that. But I'm going to follow you. I'm going to be your disciple. And that's what happened. People were disciples of John, and there was a cluster around him. But yet he realized, it's not about me. It's about him. So John pointed to Jesus Christ. Two people were hanging around with John, disciples. And when John pointed and said, there he is again, Be look, behold, the Lamb of God. Last week we looked at John and Andrew simply walked away from John and started following Jesus. Following behind him, maybe at a distance, just to see where he was going, what he was up to. Who was this man that John was pointing to? John just wasn't pointing to a person. This was someone really special that this John the Baptist would say, leave me and follow him. It's interesting that the Bible says, 
Jesus stopped and looked at them and said, what do you want? I can picture it that they're following behind thinking they're being sneaky and he won't know. And they're just going to get close enough, but, but really not in his way. They'll just follow behind. And all of a sudden he turns. Has that ever happened to you? All of a sudden someone turns and looks straight at you and says, what do you want? <laughs> you could be at a loss for words like, oh. But here's this Messiah, this guy that John pointed to. All of a sudden is pointing the finger at them and saying, what do you want? But I love it. Because Jesus knew what was in their heart. He knew that they left John the Baptist and they were following him because they had a great need. So they say, what do you want? Jesus, we looked at last week, didn't give them the answer as to where they were going because they said, well, where do you live? He didn't say just down that street, take a left, you know, at that big tree and then there's a a lame guy on the side, go past that for two blocks and then that's where I live in that shack or that place. He said, well, come and see. I love that. He invited them. He invited them to spend time. So not only could they find out where he lived, but who he was, who he really was. That made him worthwhile to leave John the Baptist and that kind of a discipleship in the first place. He invited them to come and see, to find out who he was, to experience his presence And so they spent that time with him. And their lives were changed so much so that they started to tell others about him. And Andrew right away found Simon. And the Bible says that Jesus, when he saw Simon, said, there's a name change that's going to happen. There's a change in your life, Simon, that's going to happen. You're not just going to be a hearer or a listener, and that's what Simon means. You're going to be Peter, Cephas, a rock. Now, we know that, that Peter really wasn't that kind of a person all the time in his life. He grew into that name. He's the guy who sticks out in minds of the failure as a disciple. But yet his heart was right. He just made some mistakes along the way. And I guess that's okay, isn't it? Because when he calls us, he calls us knowing what we can become. And that's important. When you follow Jesus Christ, you make that decision for salvation in your heart. Don't think that everything's going to be perfect and you're never going to have any setbacks and you're never going to make any mistakes. Simon Peter made a lot of them big ones. But he was going to be a rock. He was going to be a foundation of truth for others as he would disciple others and point them to Jesus Christ. Chair one people ask questions. Chair one people need to ask questions of you as Christians. And the best response is, come and see. Look into my life. Ask any question you want as to the hope that I have in me. Why I do what I do? Why do I go to church? Why do I read the Bible or close my eyes in prayer for a meal, thanking him for his blessings? Why do I give to the church? How can I even handle all the stresses in the workplace or at school, uh, all the difficulties? People do read you. They take a look at your life. What do they see? I trust that they would see Jesus. That would make them want to come to you, to come and see and to spend time. Last week's challenge was to invite people into your life. Have a circle of friends outside of Christians that you are just building a relationship with. Invite them out for a meal or go to an event together. Invite them to a special service. Four churches gather together every Good Friday at the community center, the Knights of Columbus. We do that intentionally so it's in a neutral place that the community can come. A lot of people go to church at Christmas time and then Easter. They call them Christers. And so it's an opportunity for you 
to just invite someone without pressure. It's a, it's a wonderful one-hour service gathering together. Uh, don't worry, there's no preacher who's going to preach for 45 minutes and, you know, scream and yell. It's actually collective. We do ministry together, and it's corporate. And so it's a great service. You could invite someone to that because they're probably going to go somewhere and do something. Plus, I always say to you, it's a good Friday. It's a holiday. Why not use it in the very best way by coming together as God's people, thanking him for the cross and that he died for our sins. The second thing you could do is don't give up on them. How many have witnessed, shared Christ, and then you thought, well, they didn't get saved in the very first time. I said, let's bow our heads and say the sinner's prayer. And you think, well, they're a (laughs) write-off. Over and over, people need to hear the good news. They need to see it. They need to come and see and make a decision. But it might take some time. Maybe they're looking in your life for a long time, but don't give up on them. They watch you. And even though you make mistakes like Peter along the way, they see when you get up again, when you ask for forgiveness, when you say, God, I can't do life on my own. I need your help. And God will help us to be Christ to others and to just care. So it actually makes you vulnerable, doesn't it, the come and see part. It makes you a little open when you let people into your life because then they see you, the real you. But don't be afraid of that. If your heart is right, and you live for Jesus, they might see mistakes along the way, and you could explain, yeah, I really messed up there, and God forgave me, and this is what I'm working on right now as a Christian. The third thing is just love them with God's love. The Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion. People need the Lord. They need to know what, what real love is. We have that to share with our world around us. And the last thing, the last challenge about chair one people in coming and see is just be a friend. How can you be a Christian friend to those who do not know any other Christians. Maybe they didn't go up, grow up in a Christian home. They've never had that example. Um, they've struggled through life. They may look great on the outside, but inside they're dying and they know it. And they're just looking for a real Christian friend who would care about them, understand them, listen to them, and let them into their life. Maybe there's one person that comes to your mind even now as I'm sharing that you are that friend to them. What are some added ways that you could be a Christian friend who shows that you care about them? Without any strings attached, you put the relationship first, you sow the seeds and trust that they would respond to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in their life to say, I want what that person has. Sometimes that's how they phrase it. I want what John has. I want what Steve has. What Mary has, they, they just know that you're different and they want that because they have a need in their life that only that, Jesus, can fulfill and change them and make them brand new. So if you look at John chapter 1, and this is a bit of a review from last week, and don't worry, we'll get into the rest of the message and we'll be out of here soon. But John chapter 1 is about Jesus Christ coming to seek and save the lost. That he came from heaven to earth, dwelt among us because he knew that he was going to have to die for us. But he wanted to invest in people. He wanted to make sure that, that people understood who he was in the right framework and that he offers life, not death. In John chapter 1, the Lord used different means to bring someone to salvation. John the Baptist was a pointer. He was a public speaker in the middle of nowhere pointing to people. And everyone was coming to him and he would say, there's the guy. Follow him. The second one is is that Andrew went and found his brother, Peter, and brought him to Christ. 
just a personal family relationship. I found what we've been looking for. Third is, this is interesting, Jesus goes and he looks for Philip. That's our main text today. He goes back before he goes to Galilee and looks for Philip and finds him and invites Philip to come, follow me. Then we see how Philip goes to Nathaniel, a friend, and says, you got to come and see this guy. We found the Messiah. All that happening in John chapter 1. People need the Lord. God wants to make it happen. I was reading in my study three phrases. It says, the Father planned it, the Son paid for it, and the Holy Spirit accomplished it. That's talking about salvation. Salvation is a miracle. It's not about self-improvement. It's not about bettering yourself. It's not going through 12 help steps. But it's about being made brand new in Christ because the Holy Spirit does that work in your life when you come and you realize that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you ask for forgiveness of your sins. Well, the second thing is I've given you a chart. Chair number two is what we're talking about, the follow me part. Come and see is, is I'm looking into the truth of Jesus Christ. I've seen Christians and how they live. I want that. It's moving from the come and see to follow me, a decision for Jesus Christ. And so if you picked up your, your bulletin today, you would find this insert in it. If you are a guest and you came through the door, it's there. Uh, please get that when you leave somehow. But the very front of it is a chart. Part of it is on the, uh, the screen there, and it talks about and identifies the four chairs. And this is used with permission from uh, Sun Life Canada. But it's just a great overview of the series and how we can move from one chair to the other to get the big picture of the wonderment of a relationship with the Lord, and that is to make a difference in our world as well. If you look at the back, we're going to get to that at the very end, but I'm excited about what's on the back page. So a sneak preview to the end of my message is that. You can check it out. Take a moment when you look at the screen or on that chart and just identify. Maybe you have a pen and you want to circle it. What chair are you in right now? And this isn't a judgment thing. If you're on chair number one, I'm so glad that you're here. And there's no pressure. I'm not going to force you to become a Christian. I don't have to. I believe that it is God by His Spirit who speaks lovingly into your heart, not in condemnation, but truth. And just simply says, come. Come and see. Explore about me. I love you so much. Maybe you're on number two and you think, well, I'll never be a go and bear fruit. I'll never be a mature Christian. I'll never be like those people who have been attending Bethel for for 60 years, and you know, their parents attended here and all that kind of stuff. Every person is valuable no matter what chair they are on. If you're in the process of growing as a Christian, God can use you, and he wants to encourage you today, and I trust that this message today will help you. But ask yourself, what chair today am I sitting on? And God, how can I just move one chair in this process of this series I want to look at the Great Commission again. I shared it last week, and it's so pivotal, isn't it, to how we do things and the reasons why. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
I love that last phrase because surely I am with you always means you need to keep on depending on me and you need to keep on going all the way to the end of the age, fulfilling my plan for the world. How do we do it? It speaks of our motives to love God and to love others, the great commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We can do that with God's help, with God's love that he's put in our hearts so we can share it with others. So the come and see seekers lost in their sin, looking for answers, they need to be made brand new on the inside, spiritually. They need to be saved and converted. When this happens, then the next challenge or the next chair is following Jesus. And it's a journey the rest of their life. Again, in John chapter 1, we see that um, they left their past behind, Andrew and John, and they followed Jesus. They found what they were looking for. They found who they were looking for. And Peter's life was changed. Our main verse is John chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided. It was Christ's decision to leave for Galilee, and then he went He looked and he found Philip. Philip must have thought, why, just just me? You, You came for me? He must have been overwhelmed, but he didn't hesitate. Jesus said, follow me, and he did, without question, without reservation. That's amazing, isn't it? Yes, people can make a decision to to go and find out about Jesus. Where do you live in John chapter 1? And some people come to saving faith like that. Others, Jesus, he's always searching, looking for us. But here it's so intentional. He comes to Philip and he says, follow me. Philip was ready. The seeds had been sown in the days beforehand. Philip was just waiting to be found. And Jesus Christ found him where he was and said, let's go. That's good news because the people that you're praying for, God will orchestrate how they can come to saving faith. Maybe right now they're looking. Maybe right now someone is coming into their life. But God knows how to bring them to salvation. So we see Jesus caring and coming and saving Philip. We had some pictures uh, that we shared last uh, week. Pastor Kyle and I, I don't know if you could see it there, but there's a chair at the base of the lighthouse, and I love that. Jesus is the light of the world, isn't he? Dispels darkness. And as Christians, we're to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. This is the follow me part. We are rescued out of darkness. We are no longer lost in our sin. The light of God's truth was shed abroad in our hearts and we had one of those aha moments that all of a sudden it made sense and we know not just about Jesus, but we know Jesus personally. And so he bids us to come and to follow him. There's one more picture I want to say. There's a path. There's steps and sometimes they're steeper. But if we have the goal and the desire and we focus on the person of Jesus Christ who's the light of the world, he will help us as we follow him. We will be challenged in how we live and what we say and what we do. And we can't go wrong by doing that. It's interesting when Jesus was saying, come follow me, be my disciple. And as John was saying to his disciples, go follow that guy. The idea of following, becoming a disciple, 
was huge. It just wasn't as simple as, well, it's simple, but there's so much more behind it is what I'm trying to say. It just wasn't saying the sinner's prayer. It was a lifelong commitment to learn and to grow and to change and to become like the person that you're following. If you go back into the context of that day, and this comes from Tim Smith, a pastor. He was just shedding some information. To understand the calling of Jesus' invitation, we need to understand the context. In Jesus' day, childhood education started at the age of five as young boys went to the synagogue school to learn Hebrew and memorize the Torah. By the time of his bar mitzvah at age 13, a typical Jewish young man had memorized all of the Old Testament. Isn't that bizarre? Those who showed great promise were encouraged to continue with their education and begin studying authoritative authoritative interpretation of the Torah, known as the yoke of Torah. The next stage is after that next multi-year phase, the young men who continued to show great promise were further encouraged to extend their training by spending time, typically ages 17 to 20, with a rabbi in a multi-year experience. There they would hone their ability to interpret God's word as it relates to all the practical issues of a daily life. The student would choose a rabbi and ask to become a student because of the great interpretive diversity among the rabbis, the decision to ask to be a rabbi's disciple and receive religious training from him was not made lightly. And he goes on to say there's all these different ways of looking at scripture. And so rabbis would interpret certain ways. So you have to pick and choose which rabbi you're going to follow. But it goes much deeper and beyond that. He continues, a first century rabbi would only choose a very select few highly promising young men from all the wannabes who asked to be his disciples. He selected only those who he thought could fully measure up to his standard and eventually become just like him. What the rabbi was looking for was not just a detailed knowledge of the scriptures, but the ability of this candidate to interpret the scriptures and apply them to real life. Remember, the issue for an observant Jew in the first century was never what God's word says. They all knew what it said. They had memorized it. The issue was, can they interpret the scripture just like him? So when a rabbi gave his invitation of follow me, he was saying, Come and be with me as my disciple and submit your life to my authoritative teaching. Hearing those words meant you had made the last cut. These words were deeply significant to hear. This was everything a young man had trained and studied for since the age of five. Now their dreams and all of their hard work could be realized. Jesus, when he's saying, follow me, he's saying, give up everything. I want you. You may have a lot of head knowledge, but I'm looking for the relationship. And when you follow me, I want you to take up your cross and follow me. Become like I am, who I am, what I can do in your life. Let's spend that time together. Let's do what seems seemingly impossible, but it's all about me and your life. And I will do what you can't, but we'll work together on this thing. If you just follow me, know me, become more like me. That's simply what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, to learn and to change becoming more like him so we could tell someone else about Jesus Christ. That'll be a challenge to them, that we can just simply say, come and see the Messiah. That's what we see happening in John chapter 1, verse 43, where Philip found what he was looking for, Jesus. And then he told his friends, Nathaniel, you have to come. He didn't get into a big argument because Nathaniel just had his excuses. He said, listen, when all's said and done, you're still going to have to come and see this guy. I want you to come and see Jesus, the Messiah. We need to follow Jesus to become his disciples. We move from just being curious to being committed 
to knowing Jesus Christ and making them known. So John chapter 1, verse 44 to 45, talks about Philip coming to Nathanael. And what did you say? We found him. That's significant because the whole Jewish community in times for 400 years hadn't heard. They were waiting. They were longing for the Messiah to show up. And how misguided they were. They missed it so many times. Even the religious people in Herod's uh, castle missed it in the palace. And he had to come and look at scriptures again and figure it all out when the wise men said, oh yeah, by the way, we saw this star and there's a king born of the Jews. Where is he so we can come and worship him? So many people missed it. Maybe they weren't really looking hard enough. But Jesus came. John the Baptist was the pointer. And then Jesus started his ministry at the age of 30. And started revealing his plan. How we can make a difference in people's lives. So we found him. Him after all the centuries of waiting for him. You can imagine that. The excitement in Philip's heart, the spring in the step, the drive to go and tell his friend. Come and see. So you could follow him like I'm following him. Now if you look at the scripture, Nathaniel's response wasn't immediate like Philip's. When Jesus said, follow me, Philip just did. That was Philip. Nathaniel was his own guy. And it would take a little more persuasion. Instead he makes a statement, can anything good come out of Nazareth? It's a good question. See, Nathaniel knew that Nazareth, off the beaten path, a town going nowhere, it wasn't famous, it was more infamous. There was a Roman garrison there, soldiers controlled it. It was a, a town or a village that was despised by the Jews. It had a poor reputation, the low life were there. Now, Nathaniel only lived like four miles away, but it had a reputation. And so he's thinking, why follow a person from nowhere? You follow a person from nowhere, you're going to go nowhere. Why are you telling me to come and see this guy? Why are you telling me that you found him? And especially if he's come from Nazareth. I remember one of my college professors, Reverend Scott Bullerwell, as we're looking at Old Testament prophets and all that, especially when he came up to Isaiah, he would always say with a serious face, go but a stump. He would tell us to go but a stump. And I don't know if he was telling us off in a nice way <laughs> or if he was mad at us because we got the questions wrong. I don't know. But he would say, go but a stump. And, and I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. And it wasn't until years later that it clicked what he meant. He was basically saying, go Jesus. And ties in with Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1, which also ties in, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So here's a bit of background. Isaiah 11, 1 the prophet Isaiah tells us that a shoot or a netzer will come out from the stump of Jesse. And from his roots a branch will bear fruit. And so the town of Lazarus alludes to the royal descent of Jesus as the Nazarene. You've heard that, I'm sure. Jesus the Nazarene from the stump of Jesse. Born in Bethlehem, the city of David, of the line of David, came out of Egypt, was a branch from shoot town, the, the branch that came out of it. The netzer, the small twig that offered life, hope from the stump. A person like Nathaniel, he had the wrong idea of Jesus. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Really, the Messiah? 
And Paul or Philip just simply says, listen, come and see for yourself. Nathaniel then goes up and to Philip to Jesus. And Jesus comments, now here's a genuine son, a man of complete integrity. Now that's a good compliment from someone who doesn't and shouldn't even know Philip. But Jesus does. And Jesus, or Philip's response is, how do you know about me? And Jesus said, well, I knew you while you were there under the fig tree before Nathaniel or before Philip came. And that was enough for, for Nathaniel, that Jesus would know him, not just know him, but know him more than anyone else. And Jesus knows you more than anyone else. He has a plan for your life, and he calls you. He looks for you. He finds you and invites you to follow him. It's interesting that out of Nazareth, there's no good town. And Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of it? Jesus was more than good. He was goodness through and through. He was perfect. He was sinless. He was to be the Savior of the world, dying for the sins of all mankind. And in a time, all who are lost, going nowhere fast, are going to have to come to this person from Nazareth, Jesus Christ, as the way, the truth, and the life, and humble themselves, but realize this is Jesus the Messiah, like Nathaniel. I want to talk about chair two people, about following Jesus Christ, and also things that we can do to make a difference in another person's life so they too can learn about Jesus Christ and make a decision. Think of your own salvation. Maybe you became a Christian in a church service or maybe at home. Maybe you're at work. Someone else shared the story and you became a Christian. Maybe you're in a motel room or a hotel and you opened that drawer and saw the Gideon's Bible and you started reading it for the very first time. Maybe it's in a coffee shop through a friend just sharing their story. Maybe it's all by yourself in a car. That happens more than you think. That someone as they're driving just all of a sudden hits them and they give up and they give their life over. Has that happened to anyone here? You accepted Christ in your car while driving? Let me know if that's your story after the service. I'd like to learn more about it. You felt something was missing in your life. You turned to Jesus Christ. You called out for help. You asked for forgiveness of your sin. You're made brand new. You became a child of God. When you were born as a baby, just thinking back of the stages of man. Uh, there we are. That's a good one. We go through the stages in our life, and we can tie it back, and so does Paul. And, and Jesus even says you have to be born again. And Nicodemus is thinking, well, how can I reborn in my mother's womb? We're to come as children to enter into the kingdom of God. When you were born as a baby, you received a natural life from your parents. Because of that, you took on some of their characteristics, but you were their, your very own person. When you invited Jesus Christ into your life as Savior, you were made brand new, and you're to become like him. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, I'm just going to back up a bit and share this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And the Bible talks about this new birth. I tell you the truth. No one can see the kingdom of God unless he was born again. So you are born again. You're made brand new as a Christian. You have a life to live that's no longer your own. You've given it to Jesus Christ. And that's exciting. Today you may be a young person, an, uh, an adult, or, or someone on in years that accepted Christ 
No matter your age, you come as a newborn. You're made brand new. And it's just the beginning of a great experience of living for Jesus Christ and making him known. Here's some things, some, some big words maybe that happen in your life that for the rest of your life you'll live this out. Regeneration is a change of nature. It's a new life from God. Repentance is a change of mind, how we think. It's a new mind about God. Conversion is a change of life. You get a new life for God. You live it for him. Justification is a change of state. You're justified. It's a new standing before God. Sanctification, it's service. It's the reasons that you do things. You've, you've left your past behind. You want to live for Jesus Christ. And adoption is a change of family. You have a new family when you become saved. Local family in a church, but with all other Christians, brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, you're adopted into the family. That's a lot that happens. And maybe the person, when they first become saved, don't understand it all. And the question is, where do I go from here? So here we are back to this picture. Try and figure out where you are in that stage of life. In the physical sense, that's easy to determine. Maybe as a Christian, it's a little harder. Just consider, though, in the fall of me, everyone is a newborn Christian. Everyone is a baby. And I was thinking about in our family, and we have three kids, and now they're all in university. But I remember when they were born, and I remember how small they were. And my wife had a great idea. Every month, she would take a picture with a teddy bear and our child, and then we compare it from month to month. So after a year, 12 months, we could see how much the child has grown. It's incredible. And you know what? They keep on growing after that, too. Caleb was like six foot two or whatever like that. Yeah, taller than the five foot eight that I am. But they grow. Children mature. They develop. They're supposed to, right? They're not to stay children, infants, babies for the rest of their life. And they go through these stages. Then there's when they get close to the twos and their teeth start coming in and they make noises on both ends of their body. They try and put words together and they're wobbling as they try and walk and, and talk and to do things because they see other people doing it. And they want to become like them, like their parents, like the people who care for them. They try and feed themselves and usually they wear more than they eat. I'm sure as parents and grandparents, you've taken pictures where there's food all over the child's face and the plate is empty. And you wonder, why are they still hungry? <laughs> they wear more than they eat. That's like us as baby Christians. We just try and take it all in, but we need to learn to pace ourselves and to nourish ourselves and all the right good stuff. And then you get into the age three to eight years, the early childhood, and they go to school and they interact with others and they're trying to form who they are. Okay, yes, I have mom and dad. I have people who care for me, grandparents and guardians and aunts and uncles. But now I'm in a school system where I'm with other people my own age. Who am I? Do I matter? What's, what's the point of my life? And so in the physical sense, we go through those stages, but also in the spiritual sense. And yes, we are to grow I mentioned all of our kids are in university now. I'm proud of them, but they had to grow and mature and to develop. It is a process. And it's a process that builds on the previous process and the truths and the examples and the things that they take in and the things that they do. Everyone is different. And before you know it, they're adults. 
And I think in my own life, there's more years behind me now than probably in front of me. It makes you think and assess, how am I living my life as I follow Jesus Christ? When I take a look at this chart, I'm that guy in the green shirt. I got to wear glasses now. I got this belly here that's, that's like, where did that come from? You know, I change. I'm, I'm growing my hair a little longer because I, I know eventually I'm going to end up like this guy who's lost it or losing it on the very far right. You know, and we, we go through things in the physical sense. Yes, we get older, but I hope that as Christians, as we get older, we don't lose life. We don't lose the point of living. That we can count each day as a gift from God and that we can live for Jesus Christ. Yes, our, our physical body, our outward body may be wearing out, losing strength, but inwardly, I hope that we are gaining strength. That our hope will never waver. That the light of God's love will keep on shining us and then through us, Paul says that we're to be vessels filled with his glory. Yes, there might be a few more cracks in our life after many years of living for him, but I hope that God's goodness and glory will shine through because we're saved. Not just saved, though, but we're following him. We're growing. There's a lot more we can say about this process, but I think you get the idea from the physical sense and the spiritual sense that we are to grow as Christians, that we just don't, think, well, we don't need anything more. We don't need the meat. We'll just take it easy and have the baby jars. I like this next picture. Some can't handle the truth. They want the strained biblical doctrine. They want the easy way. They don't want to have to chew to, to take in the meat of God's word and to be challenged. They just want to get by with their day and no one bother them. They're saved. It should be good enough. But God is calling us to more. Jesus is saying, follow me. I'm worth it. I love you, I died for you, but I have a plan for the rest of your life, and it involves you following me to become more like me so that others can follow me. It's a cycle. We are to be disciples, and we are to make disciple-makers, go into all the world, teaching them to obey, baptizing them, encouraging people, pointing people to Jesus Christ. First Peter 2, verse 2 says, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. I like this uh, next chart here. It, it sort of gives you a picture of the discipleship process from being spiritually dead, crossing that gulf, Jesus Christ, who's the way, the truth, and the life, and then growing in our needs as new Christians as we follow him. But as we follow him, we realize, and we'll look at it next week, there's another chair. It's not just about us following him, but others following us as we follow him. And that's where we're to go and fish for people. That we're to share the truth of Jesus Christ and to make a real difference. Someone said, if you feed your spiritual life, it'll grow. If you neglect it, it will die. As you follow Jesus Christ, as you take up your cross, as you love him, as you want to fulfill the great commission, as you want to do it with the great commandment, loving God and loving others, you will grow spiritually. But if you don't invest in your life as a Christian, if you don't eat the good stuff, if you don't learn and develop and mature, you'll just be thinking, just, just feed me, just feed me. I'm just going to sit here. I have no desire to do anything more with my life. I'm just going to take it easy. I'm going to follow you just by sitting down. But yet Jesus says, well, yeah, I saved you and I love you and you're going to go to heaven. But what about the others? I need you to think about the others. I need you to go in this next chair. Not just follow me, but follow me and I'm going to make you more than just saved. I'm going to make you fishers of men. 
there's other people that I care about. And Jesus will leave the 99 to look for the one who is lost. That one person is worth it. Should be worth it to us as well. Here's some things that we can do to grow and mature as Christians. And these sound simple, but these should be daily practices as we come to follow him. This is how we grow and we go away from the infant stage, the baby stage, and we get away from crawling. We get up and start walking and then we start going. There's that whole process. Read the Bible, even if it's just a few verses, every day and then find out a bit more. The Bible is God talking to you. Pray. Prayer is just simply talking to God, letting him know you, and you get to know him. Pray as you can, not as you can't. Just use your own words, whatever comes to your mind, wherever you are. I I pray in the car when I'm driving, out loud at times. Sometimes I sing, which is good, because I'm the only one that people can hear me, hearing me in the song. Praise and worship. But praying, when we pray, we're talking to God. Witness to others. Tell others about what Jesus has done for you. What you say and do, you can point people to Jesus Christ. They are watching. The next one is attend church regularly. Remember how you're adopted. Yes, you've come into the fold. But in a local church, you can continue to grow. And Bethel wants to be that church for you. Hebrews 10.25 says, Let us not give it up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You need others. Others need you. Let's do this together. So that's where God can talk to each and every one of us and talk through each and every one of us as we come on Sundays and during the week and as we see each other in the community as well. And the last way, and there's so many more, but be obedient. See, you're saved and that's a miracle. And he calls you to a relationship that goes deeper. And that's where obedience and trust comes in. Put your trust in what God wants for your life. And then put it into practice. And he will see you through. You will be used by God to share what really matters in other people's life. Ralph Harris, in a little book on New Believers, says this. Spiritual maturity does not depend on how long you've been a Christian. It depends on how committed you are to doing what it takes to become spiritually mature. See, maturity just doesn't happen by putting in a number of days in a year and then decades and then longer. Maturity happens by putting your faith into practice, by living for God. It's not just putting in time. Why? Because it's a relationship. The follow me part is a relationship with God. So here's some things that you can do. You can minister to others. Spend time with new Christians. Make them a priority. Maybe there's someone that God is telling you right now that attends our church that you need to develop a friendship, that you need to encourage them, spend time with them. I encourage you to do that. As a church, we need to focus on new Christians. And we need to look out for you. And that's our renewed desire. We want to help you. We need to understand our identity in Christ and to encourage people, you're saved, you made it. Who you are in Christ, you're a brand new person. The old has gone. Help us walk with you and help us to to just encourage you to grow in the family of God. And then the last one ties in with that. Spiritual children need a family. As we come together, I I love Bethel. I love going to other churches when I'm holidays. I know I share that. 
I hope you do as well, that you could experience God's presence in the churches that you worship in when you're visiting family or traveling or on holidays, that you realize God's spirit is there and that as we worship in spirit and truth, he brings us together. Well, I want you to look, and I close with this, is on the back of this, this page, there's a come follow me. And we follow Jesus Christ. What I'm excited about is our district has taken the lead, and they're saying, you know what? Churches have water baptisms all the time. What if we had a district day of water baptisms for those who want to be baptized on a certain day that we can celebrate it as a district, as POC churches in Ontario, that we can have T-shirts. Now, our church already has T-shirts. I have decided. And we wear those just to identify and to celebrate, and then you can keep them. The district wants to do that, and they want to celebrate people coming into the kingdom of God, finding themselves in a local church, realizing that a local church is a family that we can grow together, to recognize that people have moved from stage one or chair one to chair number two, following Jesus Christ. So I'm excited about that. If you've never been baptized in water, there's forms at the Welcome Center. I encourage you to read the scriptures, to follow the example that Jesus said he was baptized by John the Baptist in the River Jordan. And then as well to consider the bottom, it says disciple or disciple maker. As a church, we've talked about it at a board level. We want to be a little more intentional about serving you and helping you grow in your faith as a Christian. Maybe you're a come and see person and you just made a decision to invite Jesus into your heart, but you really don't know how to follow him. You really don't know how to move to this chair. Well, we want to help you. Maybe you're thinking, I've, I've been a Christian for a long time, but I'm sort of stunted in my growth. I'm still more like an infant, even though I've gone to church for a long time. And I need people in my life to help me because I want to go to the next level. So there's really two people here. Those who are, want to be discipled and those who want to disciple someone. So on the back of this, just pray about it. You can fill it out and give it to me. We like to put people together. And just to encourage you as we go into our next series, which will be at the end of March, beginning of April, that you can just simply start spending some time with individuals. Use a book that we're going give to give to you called I Will and to spend some time together learning about each other, encouraging one another, praying together. It might be over coffee or a meal or a walk or whatever setting you want. Going over the Sunday message and saying, yeah, this really helped me understand what it means to be a Christian in my workplace or with my family that are unsaved or as I want to serve in a church. Oh, I get why we do that. There's so many different ways that we can live out our life and follow Jesus Christ, but then to, to help people grow. So if you have any questions about that, please speak to me. But I'm excited about that. And it's true. Let's grow together. See, here's the thing. A person in this chair where they're a fully matured person isn't more important than number one, two, or three. We're all in this thing together. God loves us equally. But he calls us into relationship that we can serve one another, be there for one another, appreciate one another, be the family of God together so we can grow. I hope that you, you realize that you have an opportunity to be a difference maker. And I pray that as you follow Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit will challenge you in the way that you live for the Lord and what you can do with your faith, that people are looking for answers. You hold the answer, Jesus Christ. You know him and the desires to make him known.
Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Father, today we stand not because we're squeaky clean, we've never sinned, and that we're just so good and, and you just let us in. No, we stand on the promises of God. We stand as forgiven people. We stand because we came to that place where we came and saw you as the Savior of the world and we humbled ourselves and we said that sinner's prayer. We came to that realization we couldn't live our life the way it was being lived out any longer and we had to give over to you everything. God, there's no regrets with that. We're so thankful for our salvation. Help us, I pray, to follow you to learn what it means to take up our cross and follow you, to live for you each day in every way so we could be a difference maker. Stretch us, challenge us, equip us, motivate us, and move us to become more like your son, Jesus Christ. I thank you for your great love for us. I thank you that the great commission is still great. And the great commandment, there's nothing more powerful than loving others as you've loved us. Help us, we pray, as Christians and as Bethel Church, to honor you in this area. Help us to follow you all the days of our life. And everyone said, amen. amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. If you'd like prayer, if you'd like to talk, I'll be up at the front along with some other board members.